living in Babylon, and uh, we're going through the book of Daniel somewhat. Uh, we're kind of skipping around here, hitting some of the highlights, and uh, today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, it's cool, the new song that we sang actually hit on a little something that I'm going to talk about, the fourth man in the fire, right? And so uh, that's where we're, we're heading for a little bit today, but you can go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3. And uh, we'll get there in a moment. Now, we started last week and we, we made a statement that said, uh, you know, we, we, most of us, we want to make a difference wherever we're at. If you come, you move to a new place or you go to a, a new job or something like that, you want to make an impact, you want to make a difference. And we started with this premise that um, you can't make a difference unless you're different. Uh, I, I believe that. I believe that uh, it requires us to be different and it's going to uh, challenge us. There's going to be all kinds of challenges. Anybody, you ever face challenges uh, because you're a little bit different, right? Maybe because you have certain standards and there's um, things uh, that you've said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And maybe there are things you said, I am not going to do this. I'm going to, to do these kind of activities and I'm not going to partake in these kind of activities. And so making those types of stands sometimes will put a spotlight on us or it may make us stand out somewhat. And so you know, if you're like me, I, I never liked to stand out. I wanted to be like the wallpaper. I just wanted to blend into the background, right? That was that was who I am because uh, I'm somewhat of an introvert. Uh, but, um, you know, when I look at what God's called us to do, it, it is going to be something that we have to do. We have to make a difference. And, and so to make a difference, it means that we're going to have to be different at times. Um, now, Taylor had mentioned it's football season and i started thinking about just sports activities uh football season's coming up maybe you've got your team um and i started thinking about you know baseball i'm getting ready to go to braves game here in a couple weeks you know and the braves are, are just they're they're super uh you know hot right now they're they're doing well and uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm just cheering them on right and so i have had the opportunity to uh go watch them play in different places uh, I've had the opportunity to go to Yankee Stadium, and I am not a Yankees fan, okay? I am not a Yankees fan, and uh, but I knew that I needed to go to Yankee Stadium uh, because it was kind of one of those places I'm trying to hit as many ballparks as I can and check them off my list, and so Yankee Stadium was one of those places I needed to go to. I did get to go see a game there, and it, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it was an amazing atmosphere. Uh, people were definitely into it. The crowd was energized, uh, but if you were a visiting team in Yankee Stadium, you, you knew it, right? Uh, they let you know it, and uh, just the Boo Birds were out. Uh, they were cheering their guys on, and they were booing everybody else, right? And so sometimes it's difficult being the away team. Sometimes, you know, everybody likes playing on their home turf, uh, and there's a guy by the name of Chris Stankovic, uh, uh, Dr. Chris Stankovic. Um, he is the founder uh, of Advanced Human Performance Systems and, a, and an athletic counseling and human performance enhancement center. And so that's a lot of, lot of words, but basically he helps people be better athletes. And so in his studies, what he's found is this. There's, there's a couple factors that come with home field advantage, and these shouldn't surprise you. Uh, the first is that the crowd is biased, right, and they're energized for their team, right? At least they should be, 
right? They should be energized for their team, and they're rowdy. Um, I don't know if anybody, you guys follow basketball. Some of the people that come to mind are the Cameron Crazies. Can you put that picture up there? Anybody ever seen Cameron Crazies? You know, they dress all in blue. Uh, the Duke Blue Devils, they're all about, you know, uh, Duke. And so they have been known to just kind of be uh, crazy. That's the, There's no other uh, good term, term for it except that they live up to their name. You kind of see the guy there. He's just like looking. He's like, man, they, you know, he's like, what's going on? And, and, and so when you're the away team, it can be difficult. When you're the home team, you have the fans behind you. You have people who are cheering you on. Uh, another factor that makes home field advantage uh, better is familiarity. You know the space, you know, you know the layout. This is your court. This is your turf. And so you're familiar, familiar with the people. You're familiar with the, with the space, right? And so being the home team, Dr. Stankovich, basically he, he says there's, there's about three things that you must do if you're going to be the away team. And the first thing that the away team must do is this, is you have to understand that the game doesn't change when you go to a different field. That, that the game is played the same way and that how you have trained and prepared to play that game, you have to play the game the same way in an, in an away setting. And so the game does not change. How you play the game at home is how you play the game away, and that's how you should approach it. The, the second thing you got to do if you're the team who is the away team is you must make a positive choice on how you're going to see everything around you. He said that you can let all the crowd get into your head and psych you out, or you can kind of feed off that energy and say, man, look at this. Everybody's into it. They might be into it for their team, but that's all right. I'm ready to play in a place that people are into it, you know, and begin to feed off that energy somewhat. Third thing he said is this, and I think this is super important, and I think it goes into right what we're going to talk about today. Your pregame routine shouldn't change no matter where you play. Your pregame routine should not change no matter where you, where you play. Your pre-decisions stay the same. You have to pre-decide, this is what I do, this is who I am, this is how I play the game. This is, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is how I play the game. You make those pre-decisions, and that cannot change no matter where you go. And so those pre-game decisions, and I thought about that, and, and I thought about it in the sense of where we started talking last week about Daniel and being maybe in a place where you're surrounded by people who don't believe like you, people who don't um, act like you, they have different values. Your predetermined decisions about who you are are more important than the determination your opponent makes about you. Your predetermined decisions about who you are are more important than the determination that your opponent makes about you, right? It doesn't matter what they think about you. It matters what you believe about you. It matters what you know about you. That's what matters. That's what makes a difference. That is the predecisions that we have to make. Because if we let it get the other way around, if we start trying to get into, you know, uh, thinking, well, what do they think about me? Or, you know, these people, they don't like me. Or they... If we start entertaining those kind of thoughts, it begins to psych us out, right? It gets in our head, and we don't do the things that we need to do. We don't perform like we need to perform. We are more concerned with what other people think about us. That reminds me of the spies that went into the promised land when uh, um, uh, Joshua 
had taken over leadership, or, or but right before Joshua had taken over leadership, and he goes in with the ten spies to spy out the land of Canaan, and he comes back with these these uh, these the rest of these guys, and they're all kind of down on everything. They're like, these people are giants, right? We're grasshoppers in their eyes, and what they they began to do is they said, this is how they see us, and it, and it was like, it doesn't matter how they see you. How do you see you? And that's what Joshua and Caleb tried to get them to understand that we can do this. It doesn't matter how the enemy sees us. It doesn't matter how my opponent sees me. What does God say about me, right? And so that's what matters, and that's the predecisions that we have to make. We have to predecide who we are, and that's going to be more important than what people who are opponents of ours see us. Now, I want us to go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is one of these chapters that's kind of iconic stories. Uh, and maybe you've, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this story out of Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they get thrown into the fiery furnace. Anybody remember that from Sunday school or kids' church, right, growing up? And so, um, you know, you might remember maybe VeggieTales of VeggieTales. They were called uh, Rack, Shack, and, and Benny, right? Anybody remember that? Rack, Shack, and Benny. So I'm going to call them Rack, Shack, and Benny today, all right? So, so these guys, these three boys, um, and, and if we started last week, remember, they were, they were taken from their homeland, and they were marched about 900 miles away from where they grew up, where they were born and where they grew up. They were anywhere between 15, 16, and 17 years old as they left, um, as they left Jerusalem, and they were marched uh, eastward to uh, Babylon. And this was very unfamiliar surroundings for them. This was people who did not hold their culture, did not hold their values, did not worship their God. And, and now they're thrust into this place and says, now you've got to live here. And they're put under um, some extreme circumstances. But these, these boys, um, they continue to learn how to thrive even in the middle of adversity. And I think that's, that's part of what we've got to take away. How do you thrive in Babylon, right? How do you thrive when everything is against you? How do, you, how do you not just survive because I believe God wants good for us? I believe Jesus, when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, I believe that he meant that for us. And so for us is not just, I'm just getting through day by day, right? We just sent our son off to college, you know. And some people ask, how are you doing? I was like, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right, right? Because I'm trying to keep that straight. I don't want to just get through this. I want this to be good. I want this to be an amazing thing. And so I I keep trying to remind myself, this is an opportunity. This is really good. And so for us, we have to keep that perspective. No matter what we're surrounded by, God, help me to get the perspective that you can have good happen to me, even when everything around me seems to be unfamiliar and maybe even somewhat hostile. So now what I did not realize for a long time was that there's a lot of time that transpires in uh, these first three chapters. And so they go from being teenage boys and about 19 years lapses from chapters two to three, all right? And so they have grown up somewhat. They have increased in rank. Uh, Daniel has, has gone to work in the king's court, right? So he's like in the inner circle of the inner circles. Uh, and then he has suggested, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to let my friends be appointed to high-ranking 
uh, positions in Babylon. And so they were, they were, if you go look at the end of chapter 2, they were all got promotions, right? So they're not just surviving, they're thriving. They're having upward mobility in their career, right? And, and so we get to the story in Daniel chapter 3. And it's like the king, he, he just makes all these decisions that, uh, you say, why would he do that? If you look at chapter 2 and you see he had this dream and Daniel has to interpret this dream for him, and you would think that he would learn something from chapter 2. If you, go, if you don't know chapter 2, go read chapter 2. He has this crazy dream, and Daniel has to interpret this dream. And that's out of this interpretation that Daniel makes. That's how these guys begin to increase in rank. And so we're coming out of that story, and we pick up here in chapter 3 that the king begins to make some more demands. Now, you'll notice this, that Daniel actually is not in this story. Where is Daniel at? Well, Daniel is part of the royal uh, the royal court, and so he's he's back in uh, the city of Babylon. He's back in the capital, uh, and so he's probably now not out on the province with where they're at right now. And the king decides, you know what? I'm going to build this great statue. I'm going to build this big this big thing. And and some scholars believe it was more like an obelisk that was uh, about nine stories tall, and it was very skinny and it was very tall. And so uh, the idea was that they were to worship this idol, that this was going to, there's, you know, speculation about what it was. Some say, well, it was, it was an image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, most scholars don't think that's the case because that was not how Babylonian society worshipped. They didn't worship their king. They had gods that they worshipped. And so they think that this obelisk represented their Babylonian god. And so they wanted, the king wanted them to worship this thing. He creates this great big um this great big statue that they're supposed to worship and he says listen when the when the music gets cranked up when you hear the when you hear the guitar playing when you hear the drums start up you know when you hear the guy on the keyboard you know start playing right that's probably exactly how he did it right that's how i would play it um he said once you hear that he says, we want you to recognize, we want you to bow down and worship this statue. Or basically, we want you to worship this God. And if you know anything about good Jewish boys, they can't do this, right? They're, they're already trying to navigate this life in Babylon, trying to figure out what are things that we can do. But we know there are things that we just can't do. There, there are some things, you know what, I, I can do. There are some, some areas and avenues where, you know, I can participate in this life of Babylon. There are some places that I cannot. And this is one of those, you know, I don't cross this line moment. And so I want us to pick up here in verse 8. And it says, therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews and they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Just like a suck-up, right? You know, you hear him? O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon, whatever that is, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down, 
and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, apparently they must have had a lot of these furnaces around because they found them. Archaeologists have found a bunch of furnaces, and so it was probably built into a hill, so you would go up on the hill and you would throw things down into it and just burn it up. I guess if you're a little pyromaniac, that's where you would hang out, right? But they had this door at the bottom that you could kind of you could kind of see what was going on in there. And so they had all the, these fiery furnaces around. So that whoever doesn't fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And they start calling them out by name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know what these guys are? They're tattletales, right? They're snitches. What, what does it say? Snitches get stitches, right? And so um, this, they're, they're, they're snitching. They're, they're ratting them out. Uh, Rack, Shack, and Benny aren't doing what they're supposed to do, King. And so we want you to make sure that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. Well, this is the thing about it. Rack, Shack, and Benny, although they lived in Babylon, Babylon did not live in them. Although they live in this place called Babylon, Babylon wasn't in them. And, and, and that's something that you have to understand. For us, we might live in a culture that we're surrounded by things that press on us that uh, say, uh, we want you to value this or we want you to support this or we want you to cheer this on. And you know what? You say, that's not who I am. And although I may live in Babylon, Babylon doesn't live in me. And that's exactly where these boys were at, these men at this point, that they had been doing this for a long time. They knew who they were. They had already predecided who their God was. They had already predecided who their affection was given to. They had already predecided who they were going to be. Right or, uh, you know, come hell or high water, this is who we are. And so although they lived in Babylon, Babylon wasn't in them. Just because you are in Rome doesn't mean you have to live like the Romans, right? Some people say, when in Rome, right? Do what the Romans do. No. They said, who are you? We know who we are. We can't live that way. And for us, we have to devote ourselves and give our heart to Christ or, or give our heart to Yahweh. And for us, it's we give our heart to Christ. We know what that should look like for us, that there are things that may come against us and press against us. We say, that's not for me, and I can't let that get inside of me. Just because you go to Vegas doesn't mean you have to stop being who you are. Just because you go to Vegas doesn't mean you have to live the Vegas lifestyle. I, I mean, who are you? I, and, and part of the problem is this, is maybe many of us, maybe we don't know who we are. And so it's easy for us to become something else. We just, we just kind of blend in wherever we're at because we don't know who we are. See, for a believer in Jesus, our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is not created. It's not a religious thing. Our identity is, is hidden in Christ. And so what uh, has to happen is like what John said, there's got to be a decrease of me and there's got to be an increase of him. Let me be uh, less of me and more of him. Let me reflect more of who Jesus is. And, and so for us, that's got to be who we are. We've got to know, hey, I've predecided who I'm going to be. I've predecided I want to reflect Christ in my life. 
And so these guys, they, they are in trouble, right? And the king is furious. The king is not happy. Um, and you could tell this because he doesn't really want to do this. Sometimes people will make an emotional decision. Emotional people give ultimatums, right? Um, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. And, and that's not a great way to live your life, all right, especially in your marriage. If you're, if you're married, I do not suggest that you live with ultimatums in, in a sense. Of, you know what? If you don't pick your socks up, you can just go sleep out in the car, okay? All right, that may be a little extreme, guys, okay? Uh, emotional people will make uh, emotional ultimatums, and I think that's what the king did here. I think what we're seeing is Daniel wasn't with him. I feel like Daniel was allowed to be in his inner circle. And it's, it's very curious that Daniel is not in this story. And, and so Daniel's influence is not pervasive for the king right now. He's, uh, the king is not under Daniel's influence. He's under the influence of all these other people who, uh, who are surrounding him. And so the king says, you know what, I've made this decree. And, and they come up and says, well, Rackshack and Benny, they're not bowing, so uh, you need to deal with them, king. And he's angry, and he goes and grabs them. And what does he do? He doesn't throw them into the fire right away. What does he do? He pulls them aside. He says, guys, you're not bowing down, right? Well, just tell you what, I know who you are, but tell you what, just do me a solid and just bow down this one time. I, I don't think the king actually wanted to throw them in the fire because if he did, he would have done it right away, right? I think he made a, a choice and a decision that was, emotional hey i'm going to do this thing it's going to be great people are going to love this and we're going to see who's on our team but then when he realized who really wasn't on his team he was like oh that's not what i thought it was going to happen and so he he hesitates ah oh, hey guys i just need you to do me a solid just just do this one thing you can you can still worship your god in your heart just bow down to this idol and what did they say i love how they responded to him and this is what they said in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't have to formulate an opinion. We already know who we are. We don't have to come up with an answer. Our answer is very simple. You may not like it, but our answer is simple. We can't do this. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning uh, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, <laughs> see that? But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your God's or worship the golden image that you have set up. We believe that God is good. We believe that our God is strong. We believe that our God lives and that our God is going to rescue us. But, King, just in case, you throw us in this fire and he doesn't. It's all right because we're still not going to bow down to your God. We know who we are. we are. We have already made a decision about who we are. And we're not freaking out about this because our God is in control. See, what they understand is this. They trusted God over the king. 1 John 4.4 uh, 4. 4 says this. Can you put that up there, Blake? 1 John 4.4 4 says, Little children, uh, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're living this out. They understand, hey, that the God that we serve is bigger than you, O king. 
So the God uh, who we serve is, is greater. God is in charge of who is in charge. God is in charge of who is in charge. God is in control of the one who is in command. You need to rem- remember that at times. I don't like my boss. God, you are in control of the one who is in command. God, I don't like who is over me. I don't like who's giving me instructions. I don't like who's giving me directions. God, you are in control of the one who is in command. And I can trust that. I can trust that you have all power and you have all control. And so they lived off this conviction that God was in control. They lived off this conviction. When you're able to live off conviction, it, it, there's a courageousness that comes with that. That's why I'd encourage you, who are you? Answer that question, who are you? And once you begin to answer that question, who are you and whose are you? That helps you answer a lot of other things. Things, what I do, who I am, what I don't do, what this life doesn't look like. I love what Chris Hodges says. He's a pastor in Alabama. This is what he says about convictions. Convictions are all about the choices we make before we're challenged. What's a conviction? That's that predecision you make before you get into that moment and you're challenged. See, because if you wait till that moment where you're challenged to start making decisions and start trying to figure out who you are, what I've seen is people fold like a cheap suit. They, they just they give in. They get consumed. That's why it's so important for us to say, hey, this is who I am. If I am a Christ follower, this is what this looks like. This is what this sounds like. This is what this is going to feel like. I am a Christ follower when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. I'm a Christ follower when, when things are going great. I'm a Christ follower when things are not going great. I believe that Jesus is for me when I'm on the mountain. I believe that Jesus is for me when it feels like I'm under the mountain. This is who I am. This is who I've predecided. My heart belongs here. Convictions are all about the choices we make before we're challenged. So what does he do? The king takes them and throws them into this fiery furnace. He's so uh, hasty with this decision. He, he wants some of his strongest men to go throw them in. And he's so adamant about them being thrown in at this point because he's angry. He's just mad and he's upset. Go throw them in that he loses some of his best men, that the ones who get close to the fire to throw these three, three, boys, or three guys in, they lose their life. But I love when you pick up here after they throw them in to the fire. And it says, then King Nebuchadnezzar, or, or uh, let's pick up uh, back here in uh, verse uh, 19. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more hot than it usually is. Basically, that is a way of saying, heat that thing up as hot as it can go, guys. Heat it up as hot as it'll go. And he ordered some of his mighty men in the army to bind uh, Rack, Shack, and Benny and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound with their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace because the king's orders were so urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then the king was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and they said to the king, Oh, true, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. 
And, and if you start thinking about this, you start thinking about, you know what, we always talk about our freedom being under fire. Our freedom is under fire. Our freedom is under fire. Sometimes you have to find freedom in the fire. Sometimes you have to find freedom in the midst of the chaos. Sometimes you have to find freedom. And that doesn't come from external things. That comes from internally knowing I belong to Jesus. This is who I am. So no matter what comes against me, this is who I am. I have predecided where my heart belongs. I have predecided where my destiny belongs. And it is in Jesus. And so no matter what happens, no matter if I come under fire or if I'm thrown into the fire, I can find freedom in the midst of it. And so we live in a world where so many people don't know who they are. And, and, or maybe they don't even like who they are. But knowing who you are is going to help answer a lot of these questions. I love what Isaiah 54, 17, just the first part of Isaiah 54, 17. This is what it says. Can you put that up? Then some of you know this. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. It's not going to work. And so whatever weapon that the king had, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've already said, "Mm -mm, we trust you, God. We trust you, God. And so whatever happens, we believe in you. See, the fire within us has got to be bigger than the furnace before us. The fire within us has got to burn brighter and bigger than the furnace before us. So who is that for you? I want to ask somebody to come play. What does that look like for you, right? See, this is a great story, and we tell it as, like, children's church kind of stuff. You say, oh, that's just a great story. That's, that's so good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But, guys, we have to live this out. It can't just be some story in a book that we read to our kids and we say, hey, this was, this was something God did way back then. This has got to be something God does now. What are those things that press against you? What are those times that you're tempted to become something different? What are those times that, you know what, maybe you're presented with another option or maybe you're challenged, you know, that God's not real? Why do you even worship this? I mean, you can't even see your God. Why do you believe this way? Why do you believe those old stories? Why do you, there's going to be times where we're challenged. Sometimes the challenge may come from that little voice on the other side, it may be Satan whispering in there, why do you believe this? God's really not going to stand up for you. God's really not going to help you. Is that not what he did in the garden? He said, did God really say? Is God really going to show up? See, for every one of us, we've got to be like these three guys that said, I'm pre-deciding. I'm pre-deciding. I believe in you, Lord. My life is directed to you. No matter what happens, you can save me. I know you can. But even if you don't, I know it's still going to be okay. I know I'm still going to be all right. Because in the end, we win, right? In the end, we win. I know how the story ends. I know how the end of the book is completed. And we win. Stand with me. So I want you to just bow your head right now. I just want you to ask yourself this question. Where are those places that I'm challenged? Where are those places maybe I'm tempted? Where are those places that, that maybe, I, I've, maybe I've allowed myself to be surrounded and encompassed? Maybe I haven't, I don't have people who are, 
encouraging me. I think this is one thing about this story is we, we forget that these three guys, I'm sure they were encouraging each other. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sure that they were encouraging each other. I'm sure that they had people around them that were saying, hey, don't give in. Don't bow down. Don't give up. Don't become part of the wallpaper and just blend in to society without even thinking about it. And they would encourage each other, keep going. Keep going. You know who you are. We've already pre-decided who we're going to be. So what does that look like for you? What are those challenges for you? And I just want you to just bow your head just for a few moments. Where is that place that you need to ask God, God, help me here. Help me here. Help me to have strength. Help me to have courage. God, help me to not just have conviction, but develop conviction. Help me to develop that so that I don't back up. I don't bow down. That I don't just fade into the background. And it's not that easy for me. Where are those places? So, Lord, we come to you now and we just present our life. We present our heart. God, you go before us. We see these stories, and they've got to be more than stories for us. It's got to be a model for us. It's got to be a pattern for us to follow. That when we're surrounded by angry voices, when we're surrounded by challenging voices, when we're surrounded by voices where they don't worship our God and they don't hold our values. Lord, help us to be the people who have predecided who we're going to be, what we're going to do, and what we're not going to do. Help us to remember those decisions that they can become convictions about how we live. That even though we're pushed, even though we're prodded, even though, Lord, we're tempted, we've already pre-decided. And we're going to cheer each other on. We're going to cheer each other on to hold on to our convictions. We're going to cheer each other on to not back up, to not back down. And even when we can't move forward, to stand our ground. Lord, you are the one that makes us stand. You are the one that allows us to stand. You allow these three young men to stand in the midst of adversity. Help us to be the people who also stand in the midst of adversity. That we're not combative, but we are people with conviction. That we we are not consumed, but we are people who want to live this out and let it be a contrast of, of what you offer. And so, Lord, that's what we pray right now. That's what I pray, God, that we can be people of conviction and contrast. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we sing this song? Christ is my firm foundation. The 